Well, once again, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> uh, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Um, I, I was talking to a good friend this week who asked me a question about my sermon that I, I couldn't recall anybody ever asking before. He said, What's your hook? What's your hook? Now, um, he didn't mean, you know, a fish hook or something shaped like a hook or a captain hook. Um, he was talking about a hook. For example, a hook in a song is the catchy part of a song that just kind of sticks with you. A hook in an essay or a paper would be generally found in the first paragraph, maybe two at the most. Something in that that captures your attention where you want to read the rest of that paper. A hook in a sermon it can be a, a, a couple of different things, but, but generally, it's most likely going to be found in the introduction, something that's going to capture your attention. And so, what's my hook for this morning? Well, here's my hook. You ready? <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> what if you could make an investment, I told you you could make an investment upon which you would receive 10,000% interest on that investment. Amen, absolutely. 10,000%. Before I am done with this sermon, you are going to learn how to make an investment that you will receive 10,000% interest. Is that a deal? <laughs> That's a deal. Well, <clears throat> there you go. That's my hook. <clears throat> You know, as, as we come to this final part of the book of Philippians, this last part, it's pretty amazing when you stop to think about the fact that two of the most powerful promises in all of God's Word are found in this one chapter, actually just six verses apart. We looked at one of those last week, <clears throat> verse 13, where Paul says, I can do all things through him that is through Christ who strengthens me. And we learned that what a huge key that is to learning how to be content in life. The other promise, which we're examining today, is found in verse 19, where Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Now, just as with verse 13, people will pull this verse way, way out of context and try to make it sound like, you know, if, if you have enough faith, God will give you whatever your heart's desire may be, whatever that is, God will give that to you. They take this amazing promise and they try to make it a promise that's all about getting. But surprise, it's not about giving, it's about giving, about giving. Let's look at it in its context. This promise, like, like most, most promises in the Bible, has a premise. Now, what's a premise? <laughs> a premise is the condition or the conditions upon which that promise will be fulfilled. For example, our, our youngest daughter, Rachel, <clears throat> came as home visiting with us this weekend and uh, when she was younger, when she was in junior high, high school, uh, she liked to go to movies. Actually, she still does. But um, let's say, for example, that you know, back at that time, uh, I, I, on a, some Saturday morning, I, I say, Rach, I want to take you to a movie today. But here's the deal. You've got to clean up your room first. The promise, you gotta, we're going to take you to a movie. The premise, you've got to clean up your room. 
So about 30 minutes you know, before the movie's about to start, she comes to me. She says, Dad, it's about time to leave. I ask her the question, well, did you clean up your room? She says to me, well, you know, um, a, a friend of mine called, and, and she wanted to talk for a long time. And then when I got off the phone, I, I got distracted, and I started doing other stuff, and I, I just forgot. But I'll clean it up later. Oh, what's my response going to be? No cleanie, no movie, <laughs> right? No cleanie, no movie. I, I had given a very clear premise to the promise of taking her to a movie. Clean your room, then we'll go to the movie. Well, what's the promise of verse 19? God says, I will supply all your needs. But what's the premise to the promise? Well, let's look at what precedes that promise. Beginning in verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, Paul writes. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia... Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You see, the the premise to the promise in verse 19 is the incredible generous giving on the part of the Philippians. Their, Their generosity as they have amply supplied for the Apostle Paul's needs. The Philippians had met his needs. They had refreshed his spirit. And so, upon their giving, God promised that he would in turn meet their needs. In other words, the promise of supply is given to God's people who are generous to others. Now, you find this promise both in the Old Testament and the New Testament in in a variety of places, but let me just give you one example of each. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You hear the premise, a generous person, whoever refreshes others will be, and then what's the promise? Will prosper, will be refreshed. And there's a wonderful statement Jesus makes in, in Luke 6, verse 38. He says, give, that's the premise, and it will be given to you. That's the promise. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And let's look again at all the blessings of being generous givers that Paul describes here. Again, in verse 14, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Now, what troubles is he talking about? Remember, he's been writing this letter while imprisoned in Rome, while chained to a guard in a prison cell in Rome. That's his troubles. And, he, and by the way, Paul is very, very grateful for their monetary gift but he's also very grateful for the fact that they are sharing their love and concern for him. Well, he continues to pour out his gratitude, verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> Moreover, as you Philippians know, 
In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. You know, I read this last week about a, a farmer who was looking over his neighbor's Jersey cow. And he asked the neighbor, he said, that's a fine-looking cow you got there. I wonder how much milk she gives. And the neighbor turned to him and said, well, I reckon she don't give any milk. You have to yank it out of her. <laughs> you know, far too many Christians are like that. If they give anything at all, God has to yank it out of them. <laughs> but let me say very quickly this morning, not you guys. Not you guys. You're giving during this COVID time it has been just absolutely remarkable. And I want to, I know I've thanked you in the past during the welcome, that sort of thing, but I want to take a special time this morning to just say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. You know, when all this COVID stuff started and, and churches had to just start closing down their buildings and that sort of thing, the church pundits out there, we're all, we're so many of them, we're predicting all kinds of doom and gloom, all kinds of doom and gloom. Yeah, you know, giving is going to be taking a nosedive. You better be preparing now for what staff you're going to be laying off. You're going to be preparing now for what programs and ministries that you're going to be cutting. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen because of your faithfulness in giving. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You know, just as the Apostle Paul was powerfully encouraged by the Philippians, I, I, you need to know that not only myself, but our entire church staff and our church key leaders have all been powerfully encouraged by your faithful giving during this time. So again, let me say thank you, thank you, thank you. You're amazing. Well, Many Christians never learn the joy of giving because they, they don't understand the blessings that the Apostle Paul is talking about right here that accompany their giving. He continues in verse 17, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. You know, Paul's saying your gift was a tremendous encouragement to me, but what I am more excited about is what God is going to be doing in your life as a result because of your generous giving. The, the word that he uses that we have translated credited literally means accumulated interest, accumulated interest. And the word that is, we have translated account refers to a deposit in a bank. In other words, he's using banking terms here. He's saying, I'm excited for all the interest that is going to be earned by your account. And what he's talking about is, is the fact that when you give, God counts your gifts as gifts to him, to him. He puts it into a heavenly bank account where it earns eternal interest. <laughs> now, don't miss this because here's that hook that I was talking about earlier. When you, now, when you think about the interest on your you know, personal savings account in a local bank, just, just put that aside because don't think in terms of you know, 1% or less. Jesus said in Mark 10 that you will receive 100 times as much. Again, 10,000% interest. Not a bad return on your investment. 10,000%. You remember Jesus' words in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 19. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth 
where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. He's saying, why would you store up something someplace where it's, it's going to be destroyed, where it's going to go to waste? Why would you, you know, put a, a big deposit in, a, in, a, in, a, in an uninsured bank that you know is going to be robbed? No, that, that would be dumb, right? <laughs> and why is that dumb? I, I mean, let me, is there anything inherently evil about money or earthly treasures? No. So why is that dumb? Well, it's because Jesus is saying it is not going to last. It's not going to last. He says, instead of storing up earthly treasures, he goes on in verse 20 to say, store your treasures in heaven where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty and where they will be safe from thieves. You remember the story of the man who died and went to heaven and uh, St. Peter was escorting him to where his heavenly dwelling was going to be. And as they walked along the, the golden streets of heaven there, you know, there was one glorious mansion after the other that this man kept seeing. And he, you know, he started getting really excited about what his mansion was going to look like. Then Peter turned the corner and walked up to the door of this tiny little shack. And the man looked at Peter and he said, where's my mansion? And Peter shook his head and said to the man, he said, I'm so sorry, sir, but we did the best we could with what you sent ahead. <laughs> When you give, when you give, you are laying up where rust and moth do not destroy. Do you have that kind of eternal perspective when it comes to your giving? Are you storing up treasures in heaven? Are you making regular deposits into that 10,000% interest-bearing heavenly account? (laughs) Be a giver. Give generously of your money. Give generously of your life. You know, I, I quoted the martyred missionary Jim Elliott last week. My, my all-time favorite statement that Elliot and May Aurelia wrote was this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Great statement, isn't it? Well, the Apostle Paul also goes on to remind us that when you give, you're putting a smile on God's face putting a smile on his face. You are pleasing him. Now, over the years, I'm afraid I've seen some Christians approach their giving as though it's something they need to do in order to pay God off so that nothing bad's going to happen to them. <laughs> um, but no, not, not at all. I mean, look, again, verse 18, Paul says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That's what your gifts are. They are an, accept, an acceptable sacrifice. They are pleasing to God. Now, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's comparing their gifts to the sacrifices that were offered by God's people in the Old Testament. One of the most important ones that's described in the book of Leviticus, which is all about that sacrificial system, Leviticus chapter 1 is what's called the burnt offering sacrifice. The burnt offering was the only sacrifice of an animal that was made in which the entire animal was, was burnt upon the altar. And that was symbolic of the giver of that sacrifice, essentially saying to God, just as this animal is being totally consumed on this altar, I give you my life to be totally consumed in service to you, in service to you. 
So Leviticus 1.9, after that description of how this, that sacrifice is to be done, says this. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Pleasing to God because of what it represents. It represented the heart of the giver. So Paul is saying, as we express our faith with the giving of our monetary offerings to God, they are like a pleasing sacrifice to Him. Forgive the analogy here, but like spiritual essential oils, <laughs> okay? They smell good to God. They put a smile upon His face, a smile on God's face. You make Him smile when you give. Well, the Apostle Paul knows that he is in no position to ever be able to reimburse the Philippians for what they have given to him here. And the implication, actually, of this passage is that by, by virtue of the fact that the Philippians have given so sacrificially is that they may have very well left themselves in some need as a result. But the Apostle Paul is now completely confident, completely confident, as he writes in verse 19, and my God, that his God's going to take care of this, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. My friends, that promise is not only good for the Philippians, but that promise is good for you too. It's good for you too when you give. Well, we got to be careful here not to misunderstand the promise. <laughs> It doesn't apply. It doesn't apply if you're just lazy and you do nothing toward trying to provide for your needs. And take note also, this promise is saying that God will supply your need and not your greed. Your need and not your greed. There's a big difference between needs and wants, aren't there? I, 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 it's okay to have wants, by the way, of course, but this promise is about needs. I came across an interesting note last week that was from a, about a survey that was done back in 1890, 1890. And the question was asked, what do you consider to be the essential commodities of life? And they, they took all the answers, they compiled them together, and they basically added up to, to 16 commodities were designated as being the essential commodities of life. Well, somebody came across that survey and, and thought it would be interesting to do it 100 years later. And so the same survey was done 100 years later, and when all those answers were compiled, the list had grown a little bit, from 16 to 98, 98 essential commodities. <laughs> you know, it would probably do all of us some good to give some thought from time to time as to exactly what is essential in life, right? Exactly what those essential needs really are. And my God, verse 19, will meet all your needs according to to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, that, that last part of that verse, the second half of the verse, is difficult to interpret. But it seems that in, in some way we are to think of the heavenly glories of, that Christ now enjoys as explaining the source of our supply, which means that source is an infinite source of supply. It is infinite. In other words, you are never going to hear God say, whoops, I am so sorry, I just ran out. You are out of luck. Nothing left for you. <laughs> that is not ever, ever going to happen. Not ever 
going to happen. It is an infinite supply. So, thinking and writing about all that God has done for him through the Philippians, thinking and writing about all that God is, is, has, has done and is going to do for the Philippians and all those who follow Christ, it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul closes this passage with a doxology, with these words of praise in verse 20, this section. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, would, would you guys say that together with me, that one verse together with me? Verse 20, verse 20. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, remember this is a letter that was written, again, from his prison cell to the church at Philippi. And when it was received by the church at Philippi, it would have been read aloud to the entire congregation probably multiple times. Well, again, it's a letter. And so what we have in these final three verses is what we call the salutation or the conclusion of the letter. Verse 21. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. Now, he's referring there to all the believers at Philippi. Uh, again, the letter to whom the letter would have been read. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. He's referring there to his associates, uh, the ones we've talked about previously, Timothy, Epaphroditus, whoever else may have been present who weren't, were not local Romans. And then, verse 22, all God's people here, all God's people here, that he's referring there to all the believers in Rome, send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Now, that's a fascinating reference there, actually, to uh, those who were apparently working in the service of the emperor, of the, of the Caesar, who was Nero at that time. In fact, you may remember that back in chapter 1, where the, the Apostle Paul alludes to how many in the palace, many in Caesar's palace, in Nero's palace, had come to Christ, had given their lives to Christ. As a result, both of his witness, as well as the, 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 uh, the witness of emboldened believers in Rome. In other words, <laughs> Paul was in chains, but he had created an evangelistic chain reaction <laughs> that had taken place. Well, he concludes the letter with this benediction, verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. In other words, as each believer grows in their gratitude for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that in their spirit, as, as they are more and more thankful for, for His grace in their lives. They will experience peace and harmony together, and they will experience that peace down deep in the deepest part of their hearts as well. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the, the joy that we've had uh, in, in walking together through this little letter of joy by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. Father, we thank you for the, uh, the miracle of your word that is just as relevant to us today as it was to them 2,000 years ago. Father, our, our one prayer today 
is that you would make us uh, continue to, to bless us and make us faithful givers, not only of our resources, but of our lives. And Father, we thank you that we can trust that as we do so, that you supply all of our needs through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that you never run out, that your supply is endless for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.